We're in a series right now called At the Table. And we're talking about all these different encounters that we see with, with Jesus and God that happen literally over a table, over food, over wine, over bread being broken together. And it is a lost art in our community that happens many times, even in churches where we are in a crowd of loneliness. So today we're finishing up a series called At the Table, and we're going to tackle some of these issues head on this morning. Amen? Let's do this. I know it's fall break, which we've got people leaving for fall break after this. We've got people coming in from out of town for fall break. But everybody, let's do this. Everyone say amen. Everyone, everyone, give me some of these this morning. If you're listening to my podcast, people just gave me some spirit sprinkles. Uh, that just happened in church right now. Sometimes, you know, you've been out of the rhythm of things. Maybe you were out of town a little bit. Uh, it's fun to just enjoy each other's company and have a moment with God on Sunday morning. And so I'm asking for you to jump in this morning. Turn to, le to the book of uh, Luke chapter 5 this morning. As you do, I want to bring you up to speed on some very pertinent information for you. Luke chapter 5 this morning, while you turn there or scroll there in your phone, I think it's important for you to know that the attention span for a goldfish is officially, on average, nine seconds. The attention span of a goldfish, the average goldfish that you have in your little tank, in your living room, or in your kid's room, or wherever it might be, is nine seconds. Right? It's just floating around, nine seconds. The average attention span for a human is seven seconds. <laughs> that means the next time you see a tiny little fish swimming around in its tank, you can be reminded that your attention span on average is two seconds shorter than the average goldfish. Is that not amazing? It hasn't always been that way, but it is that way now. There are so many things competing for your attention, so many things competing for your time, for your energy, that we find ourselves as people running out of capacity and bandwidth for one another. Uh, <clears throat> there was a scientist uh, by the name of Harold Simon, was his name. In 1971, uh, he made a prediction about the information age that was upon him. And I quote, he says in his writings, he said, in an, in an economy rich with information, the resource that becomes most scarce is the resource that information consumes. Attention. In an information-rich age, in an information-rich culture, as much as we love it and as much as we have access to literally everything, the very thing that you become deprived of is actual attention to things that matter most. Even some of you sitting right here, right now, are probably using a phone for a Bible. 
And as you're trying to pay attention, you have notifications popping up on your phone. Facebook is beckoning. Instagram is knocking. Your sports team and ESPN and your app for this and your app for that are all doing its thing. Your game that you have is letting you know that the time is refilled and you can race again or whatever it is that you do. We have so many things vying for our attention, and the thing that matters most is the very thing that pays the price, and that is our relationships. Very little time is spent now engaging with one another. Our elbows are spent literally caved into our ribs. Our palms are open in the middle of our, our chest, and they're cradling some kind of device, and our necks are turned down, and we're looking at something that feels a little bit like a relationship, engages like a relationship. You can even talk to it now, and it talks back to you. But it's not a real relationship. We're deceived into thinking that we're having valid, real engagements, and therefore the heart of humanity is longing for something more. Are you with me today? Is this making sense to you today? Do you feel alone? Do you really feel connected? Now, maybe you're in middle school or high school and you haven't maybe felt the impact of this as fully as other people might have. When you get out of college and you get out of kind of the bubble of school, you find statistically that engaging in relationships becomes harder and harder. And as our attention span gets smaller and smaller, our ability to give time to things that matter most diminishes. And this morning, what I want to do, what I believe the Spirit of God would have us do, what I believe we see in the Scriptures Jesus inviting people to do is to invest in the things that matter most. Your relationship with Jesus and your relationships with each other. No one has ever sat on the edge of their bed at their dying days and said to themselves, you know what I wish I had done with my life? Spent more time on my phone. You know what I wish I had done? I wish I had spent more time at work. I wish I had made more money that I couldn't take with me anywhere. No one has said that, but you know what people do say? I wish I had had, I'd had more time with my son, with my daughter, with my spouse. I wish I'd paid more attention to my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Those are the things that matter most. And so if you're sitting here today and you find yourself on the fringe of feeling disconnected, if you find yourself in isolation, if you find yourself lonely, looking in the mirror, literally thinking to yourself, what, like, who, who am I living for? What am I living for? If these are the thoughts going around in your mind, if you find yourself lonely, if you find yourself stuck in patterns of sin and you just can't seem to get free, issues in your relationship with God bear out in your relationships with your fellow man, but relationships with your fellow man also bear out in your relationship with God. And if you have no relationships here, we are deceived into thinking that dysfunction here will not play out into dysfunction here. It's impossible. This isn't about whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. This is about whether or not we love like Jesus loved. 
and we engage our fellow man like Jesus engaged his fellow man. Amen? Amen? <laughs> that's heavy. It's a lot to swallow. This is something that's difficult for us. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Jesus has been preaching and teaching in Capernaum. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27, the, the scriptures say this. Luke, by the way, is the writer of this book of the Bible, a doctor, a note taker. If you've ever been to the doctor and they've given you that prescription and they're telling you all the things that you need and this and that, and you're like, can, you, can I get like a generic drug of that, please? Um, Luke is a doctor. He knows how to take notes. He knows how to, how to make uh, notations of things. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They probably said it a little bit more critically and harsh than that. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, be with us as we try to grow from your word this morning. We thank you for a powerful time of worship. God, we're asking that the word would work in our heart, that the scriptures would speak to us, that the preaching would minister to us, that we would be drawn to you this morning to know you deeper and to follow you more fully. Amen. I love a good TV show. I, confession, I probably love a good TV show too much at times. I can binge watch a show like a champ, okay? But one of my shows from back in the day, my favorite show of all time, was a show called Lost. Uh, it was a sci-fi show. Some of you are hating on it right now. Some of you are thinking, I can't be part of this church if the senior pastor, that was one of his favorite shows. It was one of my favorite shows. Deal with it. Okay, I loved the sci-fi, the creepy, the mystery of it. You thought you were watching a show about people who had a plane crash on an island and they were trying to survive, and what you were really watching was a show about people discovering what it means to be human. And that's why it was such a powerful show to watch. I'd never watched a show. I'm a grown man. But I'd never watched a show that made me choke up or get emotional before. It had never happened. But Lost did it to me. Okay? It did something inside of me. It moved me. Okay? On the show... There was a group of people that had already existed on the island, and they were called the Others. Okay? It was very original. Okay? Yeah, I, I, I hear the remarks. It's fine. It'll be a time of ministry after service today. There was a group of people called the Others, and, and even preparing for the message, they were always at, at constant, they were, they, they were the antagonists of the, the, the plane crash victims. And they were scary, and, you know, it was, it was this other group of people. And they were called the others. 
And as we're looking at this passage in the book of Luke and the way the culture viewed tax collectors and quote-unquote sinners, there is this same kind of idea, the otherism that happens where we, we, we love to create camps that people belong to and don't belong to. We love to create groups of people that we can classify kind of as others that you can then walk past, walk around, not engage with, not have to do life with. But Jesus had a way of walking into the others, the people that we, 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 we don't naturally associate with, and he would bring these two parties together. Race did not bother Jesus. Sex did not bother Jesus. Financial status did not bother Jesus. None of these things mattered to him, even though they mattered to the culture in which he was living. And so this story about Levi, there, there's so much to it. But Jesus is doing the unthinkable church. In the same way that we have jokes about lawyers, you know they had jokes about tax collectors. Tax collectors, whether you're a lawyer, God bless you this morning. A tax collector at this point in time was the scum of the earth. You could not get lower. Levi is not a chief tax collector. He works for the chief tax collector. And he would have had his table and his office and his booth set up right outside the city, relatively close to the gates. And his particular job was to tax every single person who came into the city on the goods that they were bringing in. There were taxes literally on how many wheels you had on your cart, how many axles you had on, a, on your cart, what kind of animal you were using to carry your luggage and your equipment and your resources that you were trying to sell. You were taxed for everything. And the way it would work is, is Rome, which, which was the oppressor at the time, owned the right to tax the people, but they would sell the contract to whatever Jewish lord had enough money to buy the contract for all the people and all the land living in the area. And then that chief tax collector would hire a whole troop of miniature tax collectors and they'd set up around town. And whatever the contract went for, the tax collector had to therefore set the price of taxes high enough to meet the cost of the contract and then higher than that to put a little money in their own pocket. And so Jews hated tax collectors because it was their own people who had sided with the Roman Empire, the enemy, to extort, to lie, to cheat, and to steal from their fellow man and woman. The sheriff of Nottingham, if you've watched Robin Hood recently, or if you love the cartoon, the sheriff, that's the tax collectors. Nobody likes the sheriff. And this is who Jesus is walking over to now talk to. 
Might I also add, to eat with a tax collector would make you spiritually unclean. That's how depraved they considered tax collectors at this time. To go into a tax collector's home, unthinkable. You couldn't even go to the temple and worship after you had done that. You would have to make sacrifice on, on your behalf for your sin and iniquity for associating with someone who collected taxes. Can you imagine me standing at the front door of the church and saying, uh, you, you actually, uh, you were with a lawyer down the street last week. You cannot come in here yet. You need, you, need to get that, you need to get that fixed. You need to get your heart right. Go take care of that. Go offer three prayers and give this much and do this and do that. That's what we're talking about. So when Jesus walks over and begins to speak to Levi, it's a big deal, especially when you consider the fact that Peter and Andrew are fishermen. You know how many times these men would have walked through these gates only to have this man extort them for money on the fish that they had spent all night working on? We don't think about this. They may not have known each other by name, but they would have walked through these gates many times. So when Jesus invites Levi into relationship, he's doing much more than just having a casual conversation. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up. He left everything and he followed him. I love the story of Levi because I didn't grow up a a technical pastor's kid, but my father was an elder in our church and helped start the church that I attended to uh, growing up as a kid, was really involved, acted like an associate pastor. And Levi's name, the only way he would have gotten this name is because he is descended from the tribe of Levi. And if you know anything about the tribe of Levi, the, the descendants of Levi were those who tended to the temple. These were the priests these are the people who were taking care of temple worship, who were making sure that the instruments were getting played right. These were, these were the church guys. These were the pastors. Levi is a PK. Somewhere down the line, he's got family that was involved in full-time ministry as we kind of classically know it. And yet Levi has not just wandered from what the holy scriptures in the Old Testament are teaching him to do with his life. He has betrayed his family, he has betrayed his fellow man, and he has betrayed God. If you've ever heard about the, the, the wild nature of PKs, pastor's kids... And sometimes the tendency that can happen in, in running away from God and pursuing the opposite direction, Levi is as far as he possibly could be from the descendants of the tribe of Levi. He is literally collecting taxes. That ministers to me because when Jesus begins a conversation with Levi, it should speak to the depths of our heart. No matter how far you've run, no matter how far you've wandered, doesn't matter how many terrible decisions you've made. 
the train wreck you've made of your life, your family, your parenting, your job. It does not matter. It does not matter. It does not matter. It is never too late to follow Jesus. It's never too late. And you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm kind of okay, I'm good. But there may be a moment in the not-so-distant future where you are wrestling with the depths of your own sin and you stay on the outside sitting at your little table afraid to really come back to church or come back to God or put your faith in Jesus or pray that prayer or ask that person to pray for you. And what happens is our sin keeps us trapped on the outside and we find ourselves isolated and ashamed. And the cycle of loneliness and the cycle of no community and the cycle of no one speaking into your life and the cycle of not having relationship with God or hearing his voice continues. And it continues and it continues. And we sit at our little tables and we sit at the side of the road and we let all the other spiritual things pass us by. But what I love in this story is Jesus takes the initiative. And isn't that what he does with us? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the very first sin. And what do they do? They hide. They run away. They literally sow fig leaves and they're hiding in the trees. And God comes pursuing them in the garden. Adam, Eve, where are you? P.S. God knew where they were. In case you didn't know, God knew. But he was drawing them back into relationship. Make no mistake about it. Levi, whether he was consciously doing it or unconsciously doing it, he is hiding behind his tax booth. He's hiding behind his choices. He's hiding behind his sin. No Jew at this time grows up. He would have had the Pentateuch memorized, the first five books of the Bible, because this is what culturally every young Jew would have done. You would grow up in, in your grammar school. You'd be taught the first five books of the Old Testament. You would be able to literally recite it at 10 years of age. And those kids who were really excellent at being able to talk through the law, book of Moses, would go on and they would be chosen by a rabbi and the rabbi would invite them to follow him to literally let their lives begin to mimic the rabbi's lives. But understand, if you haven't had this opportunity or you weren't invited to follow a rabbi, it's because you didn't have the goods to get the job done. Very few people were chosen to follow a rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. And when he says, come and follow me, he's not saying, hey, let's go. He's not asking to go look for a new restaurant in town. He is inviting Levi to leave everything and be his student. To do what no other rabbi had done before. And that's invite this guy. The guy with no potential. The guy with weak character. The guy with no conviction. The guy who would betray his fellow man. The guy who would cheat and lie and extort, that's the guy that Jesus invites to follow him. And if you think that you have somehow outrun God's grace in your life, you're wrong. 
It's never too late to follow Jesus. And even though your choices may have consequences, you're never so far removed from God that you cannot turn back to him and that he is not willing to invite you to leave everything and follow him. Amen? It is great. It's good news. Because I don't know about you, but in 39 years of age, I have blown it a lot of times. Some of you are sitting here and you have blown it. You're stuck. You're stuck in patterns of sin. Some of those patterns of, of sin in our lives look like porn addiction, alcohol addiction. It looks like a, a critical heart, a critical spirit. Some of you can't seem to stay away from toxic relationships. It's like you have an addiction to them. Like a boomerang that you, you throw it out and it just keeps coming back. You keep coming back to it. And you think to yourself, what's wrong with me? Am I even a Christian? Yes, you are. Get up. Leave that table behind and begin to follow Jesus. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take you standing to your feet. Jesus was asking Levi to leave behind a life of, of, of prominence in the sense of, of having income. He was rich. He was wealthy. There is no question that to leave it to behind, to leave it behind was to pick up a mantle of poverty. There was no way that wasn't going to happen, but he had to leave it behind to follow him. Some of you are loved doing drugs. Some of you can't seem to get away from it, from smoking this, smoking that. And as much as you want to, you keep coming back to it. Jesus is asking you to get up and leave it behind, to walk away and to begin to follow him. It's going to require some courage. It's going to require you having a band of disciples that you can walk with. But you've got to have the courage to get up and start walking. If you haven't left anything behind, you may not actually be following Jesus all that well. I'll say that one more time. If you haven't left anything behind to follow Christ, you may not actually really be following him. You may be around all these churchy things, but you may not actually be pursuing him in a way that's cost you anything. But following Jesus costs you. There is a cost to following Jesus. I'm not saying that there's a cost to getting saved, but I am saying that to get up and start following him, to experience discipleship, the community that God has, the church that he's invited and called you to belong to, make no mistake about it, there is a cost to it. So what does Levi do? He throws a party. <laughs> I love it. Levi has a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus turns the tables upside down at this party. Jesus loves to turn tables upside down. In fact, there's another moment where he, he, he literally flips, he flips the, the tables in the temple over. 
He's got a whip, and he's cracking that thing. Okay? Jesus does not play. But here in this moment, he's not harsh. He's not being, being, being overly difficult, but he's being very direct. And the, the statement that he is making invites a question that all of us need to ask ourselves. If Jesus has come for, if he didn't come for the healthy, if he didn't come for the righteous, but he came for the sinners, he came for the sick, then the real question we have to ask ourselves then is who is sick? Who's sick? We hate going to the doctor. I know I do. I had to go to the doctor this week. And I avoided it like the plague. I self-diagnosed, which is the worst decision to ever do by reading symptoms online because you'll have three days to live. It doesn't matter what you have going on, you're dying, right? And so finally, you know, you're weighing the price. What's going to cost this much? Surely I'll be fine. Just go ahead and cut my arm off from, from the elbow down. I'll survive. It's fine. We avoid going to the doctor. We don't like going to the doctor. Self-diagnosing is one of the worst things you could do. There's a reason Jesus is called the great physician. And to try and self-diagnose your own spiritual condition is a great, great, great mistake. Because more often than not, we will put people in the other camp that we do not belong to, and we will stay in the camp of righteousness. Of those who don't need to go to the doctor because, after all, they're the sick ones and we're fine. We're all good over here. Yeah, I go to church, and I, I'm engaged in a church, and I, I even go to a life group. I give every once in a while. I, I, you know, I'm doing pretty well. But those guys over there, whoo, God help them. What a mess. See, we don't have tax collectors in the same way that they had tax collectors. A better way for us to to begin to remove the barriers of otherizing other people is to put it into context that we understand where somehow God's good graces have been removed from those people. That means, in a very practical sense for us, the tax collector in our culture oftentimes falls along party lines, a Republican or a Democrat. Oh, see, now we're getting very sensitive this morning. Because we understand how grace applies to a tax collector, but how can grace apply to someone who would be a Bernie Sanders fan? I don't think it's possible. Oh, yes, it is possible. See, the tax collector in our midst is the other person that we put in a camp that just can't somehow experience God's graces. Surely that's not who God's calling into relationship. But I have great news for you this morning. Whether you wear a MAGA hat and are a Trump supporter, God loves you and is inviting you to leave the table and follow him. Whether you voted for Obama or whether you are a Bernie Sanders fan or Elizabeth Warren or whoever you might be championing as your candidate, guess what? God loves you and is inviting you into relationship with him and he's actually doing even more. He's calling you to love the other person on the other side of the fence. That means the person who, who is an advocate for abortion, whether you agree or not, and we can make a great case for why abortion is wrong, biblically speaking, but that isn't the issue at hand that we're making right now. 
The issue is that we demonize people as being unable to experience who God is. We don't talk to them. We don't invite them in. We don't create a place of, of belonging or community. They're on the other side. Somehow they're the ones who need God's grace, but not us. We're doing okay. A person who loves guns. The person who voted in favor of abortion. The person that's homosexual. The person that has a, a spouse that looks the same as they do. The person who's going through transition. The per person who isn't sure what gender they are. Now we can talk about the morality of things, but what's interesting is Jesus doesn't get into any of that here yet. He just invites Levi to get up and follow him. And the churchy folks, the Pharisees, are so bothered by it. Them? Why would Jesus be spending time with them? And Jesus says, because it's not the righteous I've come to help. It's the sick, it's the sinner that I've come to call to repentance, which, by the way, should be signaling to you that that's not just for them, but everybody in this room. Because everyone has sickness in their heart. Everyone has sin that they can't seem to get away from, that they can't seem to be set free from. Everyone in here constitutes as someone who is sick. But the Pharisees couldn't see it. And so they grumbled and they complained. You want to know the first sign of finding yourself in a very similar camp as the Pharisees, as the teachers of the law in this story? To examine your heart and wonder, literally begin to filter, am I the kind of person that loves to complain about everything? Because religious folks love to complain about everything. See, Jesus invites, he invites all of these people to the table. First, Levi does. Don't you love that Levi, the first, in, the G <laughs> I have a lot of competing thoughts happening right now. Levi receives an invitation to follow Jesus, and he in turn invites Jesus to his house. He accepts Jesus' invitation with an invitation of his own. I'd like my newest friend to meet my oldest friends. He throws a party. It was probably slamming. I mean, these people wouldn't have known Jesus from anybody other than, I mean, Jesus is coming to town. Je Jesus is here, and Levi's throwing a party? Okay. I mean, the music was probably slamming. The food was probably great. There were probably people who had too much to drink. There was probably people who were eyeing other people, thinking, mm, maybe we're going to hook up tonight. That probably happened because it was a party, and it was filled with tax collectors, lowlifes, and people who didn't spend any time trying to live right. And Jesus was right there in the midst of it. And there was a group of people trying to figure out who Jesus is and how do I follow him. And those who were snarling and critical and complaining. See, Jesus invites us to trade 
table for rebellion, table of rebellion for a table of righteousness. And he invites us to trade a table of religion for a table of relationship. And we can get into all the dynamics of what it looks like to lay a, a proper foundation in someone's life for living for Jesus, for how to build this thing right. But the first conversation that we have to settle on is who is sick and who is invited to the table. And I have great news for you. The answer is everyone to both. Everyone is sick and everyone is invited. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter the choices that you've made. You are invited into relationship with Jesus, and he is asking you to trade in your table of taxes, to trade in the table of rebellion and wandering and running, and trade it in for righteousness. Begin to follow him and pursue him. You don't have to have it all figured out yet, but you've got to get up and you've got to start walking with him. But there's another group of people who love to, to kind of look from a distance and make judgment. And you've got to trade that table in too. The table of, of religion where you have rules and, and for someone to violate those rules, it, it threatens you. It threatens your idea of church and your idea of safety and comfort. Jesus loves to make a mess of our rules and our expectations. And we've got to trade. You have to trade that table of religion and come to the table of relationship and have real transformative relationship with Jesus where he changes you and makes you new where he softens your heart where he helps you love people that don't look like you where he helps you love people that don't look like you where he helps you love people that don't look like you, that make you uncomfortable, that make you feel different, that make you feel a certain way that you're not used to feeling. Jesus invites you and I to come to the table to trade our notion of rules and what this has to look like for the messiness of loving people the way Jesus loves people. One will have you all knotted up in religion and the other will have you experiencing the freedom of relationship, not only with Jesus, but with the people around you. Where are you this morning? You fall into one of those camps? Find yourself stuck in sin and you need to get up and start following after Jesus? Or you find yourself on the other side beginning to drift into complaining and judgment and hard-heartedness? Our answer is still the same. Revelation 3, 19 through 20. Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What do you need this morning? You need Jesus. So invite him into your life today. Invite him into your heart today. Get up and start following after him today. Repent, leave that thing behind and start following him today. Leave your angry hard-heartedness behind today and start running after him. 
Father, we thank you this morning that regardless of our position in life, whether we're Levi or whether we identify more with the person at the party who's complaining and bothered and embittered, Lord, you invite all of us into true relationship with you. You invite all of us into relationship with you, Lord. If you're sitting here today and you know that's your Levi, you've been running. you to pray with me right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for not letting go. I choose to get up and leave this life behind and beginning to follow you. Give me your grace. Give me your strength. Help me to follow you, Lord. I repent of what I know is wrong, and I leave it behind right now and choose you, Jesus. If you're more of the religious crowd that drifts into hard-heartedness and judgment and complaints and anger and you know this is this is something you've got to get right in your heart just literally this is your moment say jesus thank you for showing me what it looks like to love people help me to love like you love help me to love with grace and kindness your very loving kindness that draws people to repentance help me to love like you love Soften my heart today, Lord, that I might follow you and live for you. Amen. Jesus invites us all to the table. Some of these messages have been literally ones on community where we've got to grow in relationship with each other and the power of life groups and the power of having somebody to talk to, to be able to confess sin to, to have someone to pray for you. And other messages have been about you having a moment at the table with Jesus like today. And if God's ministering to you in this moment, I don't want you to just get up and run out the door. I want you to stay for a moment because you need relationship. And if you're trying to leave a life behind, don't try to do it on your own. And if you're trying to love people well, don't try to do it on your own. That's what makes the, the church so beautiful, so amazing, so miraculous, is that we get to do this together. We're better together. Stand to your feet.